We are in Romans 8, and I think we're going to finish up this More Than Conqueror series that we started. And uh, it's good to be together. Now, if you remember, I've been asking people, inviting people, calling people. No guilt trips. I don't believe in guilt trips, and I don't want to pay for the gas. No guilt trips, but I've been calling people. Thank you for that one. Just seeing if you're awake. If the jokes get bad enough, I know you're there eventually, because I see you getting up to walk out. Um, but calling people to kind of join with me in memorizing Romans 8, 31 through 39. And I even purposed in my heart that I wasn't going to get anybody to lift up their hands ever in, when we're all together. I was never going to ask because um, if you're going to do it, you should do it for the Lord, right? And not to uh, be part of the front row keeners at church. So I love the front row keeners. Thank you. Thank you. All you front row keeners. I'll even include second row keeners. Thank you for being part of that awesome learning tea. You're blessed. (laughs) Okay. I know my time is short, but one little nerdy fact. Have you ever heard of the phrase head of the class before? That there's a thing, that person's the head of the class. Back in the old days, they would actually arrange the students based on their marks. So if you were at the head of the class, you would literally be like in the front on the right or something. And if you were the worst person, you would be in the back. Um, And so every time you came to school, everybody just lined up. Can you imagine? A a fence nuclear bomb would go off in our schools if they did that anymore. You're you're destroying their self-esteem. Anyhow, um, that's where it came from. If you're the head of the class, you're literally in the front row. So there you go. Romans eight thirty one through 39. So I would like to this morning, instead of us, all of us reading it together, um, I'm just going to do my best to read it from my own memorization of it as I've been working on it. And if the words come up, you can correct my mistakes quietly to yourself. But, you know, I'm just, I just want to do this just to say, it's possible, I did it, I didn't just call you to do something I didn't do. And there we go. So would you join with me? You can hear me recite it. You can read it in your Bible. If you've been memorizing it, you can recite it quietly along with me as well. Romans 8, 31 through 39. These are the very words from God. What then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, then who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not along with him also give us, graciously give us all things? Who is to bring any charge against God's elect? It is God who justifies. Who is to condemn? Christ Jesus is the one who died. More than that, who was raised, who is at the right hand of God, who indeed is interceding for us. Who will separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? As it is written... For your sake, we are killed every day. We are, like, we are regarded as sheep to be slaughtered. No, in all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am convinced, or I am sure, that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, 
nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus, our Lord. Father, thank you for these holy words that when I say them out loud, it is you talking to everyone who hears it. And it is true for everyone who has faith in Christ. God, thank you for your holy word. Father, I need you so badly. I need you right now for this message. I need you every morning, every day. Lord, each one of us, we really need you. And I pray, Lord, even as I talk today, the weight of the glory of God would come upon us and the conviction of your word, Lord, that this is true, would be in our hearts. Lord, you would open us, our, our eyes and our hearts open to the truth of who you are and that you would do eternal things through this time in Jesus' name. Lord, Jesus is worth it. I get it, Father. Jesus is worth you doing these things. That's why I'm asking. And all God's people said, Amen. Amen. So we have been working through these passages, and it's been really great. I've said it before, I'll say it again. I don't think I've ever been so personally um, impacted by any series I've ever done, just kind of haunted by some of these truths, and it's been really great. But I, I, I sense in my heart that it's time to move on. And so as I've prayed about how many more sermons to get out of the end of this passage, I think that this is the last one. And there's places to go and and things to do. And um, even if you're somewhere great, sometimes you need to keep moving. Amen. Um, when, When people gather around you and somebody throws a shovel full of dirt in your face, you're where you never need to leave. Until then, we've got to keep on following Jesus. Sometimes we're going to have great times. Sometimes we're going to have hard times. My next sermon series is probably going to be the worst one of my entire life. I'm just going to work through Leviticus. And um, you're going to love it. Just kidding. But, on the other hand, do you know Jesus thought that the second greatest commandment came from Leviticus? So it can't be that bad of a book, seriously. Let's believe Jesus. Anyhow, we, I finally got around to talking about what it means to be more than a conqueror in life. What does it mean to be a winner and not a loser? What does it mean to conquer and not be defeated? And what I said last time, if you were here, was when I talk about being a conqueror, when I talk about being a winner, what usually comes to mind in our heads and in our hearts right away is probably not at all what God has in mind, right? We've got to press pause because we've all watched a lot of television. We've all watched a lot of movies. We went to Aquaman. And that picture of what it means to be a conqueror is not actually what God's estimation of what it means to be a conqueror. But there's a lot of kind of knee-jerk reactions and knee-jerk re- assumptions that we've got to work on. And so last time when we were talking about this, I said what I think the first thing and the most important thing and the basic thing that it means to actually be a conqueror in life or a more than conqueror in life is to really, really, really know the love of God in every situation. And to have become, become convinced that no matter what happens to you, whatever you get or whatever you lose, what you cannot lose as a Christian is the overflowing, generous, passionate, affectionate, kind, merciful, fierce, and jealous, and holy love of the Father. 
And if we get that, we're already winning. And if we get that, we know we will conquer because we know that we've got the most important thing and we can't lose it. So, 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 so there, right? And life is a mess and life is so hard, way harder than we'd ever want. But this is where it all starts. And I'm, and I'm not even being smart doing this. Do you know what I mean? Like there's sometimes you preach and imagine, oh man, I'm so smart. I've seen things, so smart, take smart, take smart. No, I just, I'm just reading. What can separate us from the love of Christ? Answer, nothing. Our fear, almost anything could separate us. The thing, what I'm going to do later today is probably going to separate me. The feelings in my heart right now might separate me from the love of God. Wrong, 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 wrong. Wrong, 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 wrong. That's the whole point of coming to Christ. You come to someone who is absolutely able to completely save us. That's the point. That's why we're not Muslims. That's why we're not secularists. We've come to a Savior who's stronger and smarter than us and died before we were ever born, whose dad chose us before our parents ever even met each other and went, hey, that's our salvation. And that's why... We can believe this. And the whole application of last message, which is still the application, which is my prayer for this church, Lord willing, all year long, is that God would give us supernatural power to believe this. Because the Bible is convinced that regular people and regular Christians cannot understand how much God loves them. We cannot. We cannot. And so our response is meant to be, God, give me the strength to get it. Give me a heart and a mind that just begins to get it. Because I can't get it. And then Paul, went in Ephesians 3, that's where we were talking about it. He says, I just, I'm praying that God will give you strength that you could know Christ's love, which is beyond knowledge. So that you can be f- completely filled up with God. Anybody ever feel empty? You're going to, the next couple of weeks, you're going to feel really empty. Everybody feels empty. We feel so empty. If you're trying to fill your, your life with, with entertainment, you, maybe it's because you feel empty. If you're trying to fill it up with substances, is it because deep down you feel empty? If you're trying to fill it up with people and people's love and the pleasure that can come with people, is it maybe because you feel so empty? And the Bible's praying. He's praying, oh, God, I pray that they would get how much you love them so that they can be filled with all the fullness of God. You'll never feel full until you know the fullness of Jesus' love. And then he says, and God is able to do more than you could ever even ask and imagine. When you come to pray to God, I want to know your love. He's like, I got plans within plans for showing you my love. I got this whole scroll. You'll never be able to get all the plan. I can do more than you could even ask. Which is pretty encouraging. It's not like when you come to him, God, would you help me know your love? He's just like, I'm reading the newspaper. He's like, this newspaper's full of all my plans for making you know my love. Look at page four. It's amazing. Anyhow, I'm interpreting scripture a little bit there, but you can hear where I'm coming from. So that's the beginning of it, okay? I know that God loves me. I'm a sinner. I don't deserve it. I don't even like myself, but the truth is in Christ, God loves me and chose me and is not going to let me go That's the truth. That's where it starts. And my tribulations and distresses and persecutions and famine and nakedness and danger and sword does not separate me from the love of Christ. 
And so as I thought, okay, this is my last shot, I, I thought maybe I could do a few sermons on suffering or just general suffering or whatever. And Matt did a sermon on suffering before, and you can listen to that. He did a wonderful job. But I thought that I would take a lesson from Scripture and just focus in on one thing this time, not so much because, from what Scripture says directly, but what it models from us. Okay, and this is what I mean. So I'm not going to find a verse and explain the verse. I'm going to show you the verses that come next, and we're going to look at the heart of Paul as he's writing these things and take a lesson from what's going on with him. And so all this to be, I'm almost done starting. Okay, I'm almost done the introduction. We've almost got started. I've explained to you all the buttons on the dashboard of the airplane, and I'm almost ready to put my foot on the gas pedal. Being more than a conqueror in life starts with getting how much God loves us and that we cannot be separated from his love by what happens in this life. And I think it ends, or the other end of the spectrum, is really learning to love our enemies. It starts with knowing God's love, and on the other end of the spectrum is actually being able to love our enemies in this life. And if you've got one, I know God's love. And if you're able to do the other, I can actually love my real enemies. What in the world can happen that you can't get over? Because enemies are the worst, right? If you fall down and break your leg, that's bad. If somebody runs up to you and breaks your leg, that's a million times worse. Because you hate that scumbag, right? So if you know God's love on the one hand and, and by God's grace we learn how to love our enemies well on the other hand you'll conquer. Where does this come from? It comes from Romans, the end of Romans 8 and the beginning of Romans 9. So Paul's been going through all these chapters in Romans and he's at the high point and he's like on, he's on his pulpit and he's shaking it like this and he's saying I am convinced because of what God has done through the cross that he sent his own son to die for us, which is already amazing and stupid and unbelievable that the son of God would come and be tortured and humiliated, hung naked till death on the cross to get sinners. It's amazing. And it proves that God's not going to abandon us in life. He's already done the biggest thing. Everything else is just gravy and easy for him because we've already turned now. He's already won our hearts. We're looking at him through faith. And this is the best and so we can look at life and we can be so convinced of his love for us that he's not going to quit and then in verse 9 sorry chapter 1 verse 9 in the same breath he says i'm speaking the truth in christ this christ whose love i can't be separated from i am not lying my conscience bears witness in the holy spirit that i have great sorrow and non-stop anguish in my heart what? What? For I could wish that I myself were accursed. I, I could wish I was cursed by God and cut off from Christ. What? Christ, I, can't, I could wish that I would be cut off from Christ. What is going on here for the sake of my brothers? My kinsmen, according to the flesh, they are Israelites. And to them belong the adoption the glory, the covenants, the giving of the law, the worship and the promises. To them belong the patriarchs. And from their race, according to the flesh, is the Christ, who is God over all and blessed forever. Amen. I really wish 
that whoever was putting the chapters and verses in the Bible had stopped chapter 8 there instead of starting chapter 9 earlier because we see that break and we think, oh, maybe he wrote these on different days or maybe they're different books. Or we read end of chapter 8, memorize there, boom, high point, and then start in chapter 9. What's this guy's problem? The same breath. Same breath. God's love is amazing in Christ. It's the best. And my heart is full of pain over my brothers. And this Christ I can't lose. I could wish that he would stand before me and curse me to hell. So that my people, the Jews, could be saved. Same heart. How does this happen? And the crazy thing, the crazy thing, the crazy thing, the thing that is craziest, are you with me? The thing that is least understandable by Robert Balfour is that he's not just saying, I want my family to be saved. Because Paul knew what it meant to be persecuted. Remember he talked about, he knew how to go through tribulations. Remember he was just talking, he knew how to be hungry. He knew how to feel naked. He knew how to get tortured. And if you read Acts in his life, he says in, 2 Corinthians, five times I've suffered the lashes. 40 lashes minus one. 39 times they raked across my back whips that split the thing open and blood and pus was pouring out. And you know what? 95% of the times that people tried to kill Paul, that people tortured Paul, that people stoned Paul, that he, they left him for dead, 95% of the time, do you know who was doing it? The Jews. It was almost always the Jews. And when Paul was finally arrested at the end of Acts, he was saved by the Romans from the Jews who wanted to kill him right there in the temple. And then when they were taking him over to Rome, they hatched another death plot to kill Paul. And the reason he ended up in Rome wasn't because of this letter that we're reading from, as far as I understand, it's because he had to flee from the Jews. So he appealed to Caesar. So here he is, this guy rejoicing that none of these troubles, these tortures, these scars all over his body can separate him from the love of Christ. And I really wish that these people would be saved. The people he's weeping over are the ones that give him all the trouble. He's right before our eyes, loving his enemies. Do you see it? I don't, I don't even know how you do that. Right? Right? If even one time a group of people flayed my back just a couple times with a whip, I would be happy to watch them go through a wood chipper. Sorry to bring up the wood chipper again, but you're with me. Don't let, don't let it go too fast. Do it feet first. Right? Because they hurt me. And they're my enemy. And I'll never trust him again. And here's the Apostle Paul who literally is only alive because God has repeatedly saved him from them. And he's at the high point of his letter going, Jesus' love is amazing. And I would give it all up. These my enemies would be saved. If it were possible. You can't actually love Jesus so much that you would want to die for people to come to Jesus and be 
condemned for it, just so you know. It's like impossible. Jesus, you're so amazing that I wish you would curse me so that more people would come to you. It's actually not possible for God to do that. I have so much faith in you, I wish you would get rid of me. What? No, it just, it's impossible. But you can hear his, his heart. Have you ever met anybody like this? And this is, this is the, the guy who wrote so much of the New Testament. Where do enemies come from? Or even better, I'll, I'll answer that next. First question, what, is, what does an enemy look like? I'm after something here. I know it's a weird question. We all know what enemies look like, right? You watch the movies. Enemies always have the black outfits on and the really pasty white. That's how you know. And when they hear a joke, they don't even hear jokes. They just talk and plot and then they, they laugh like they ever. I just thought of this great knock-knock joke. Knock, knock. Who's there? Your enemy. <laughs> An evil person. <laughs> you know, they always laugh like that, and they always have the black clothes on, and they don't have a nose, and, and they, they go, they always, yes, young Skywalker. They always talk like that, or they have this freakazoid mustache. And uh, they have their red lightsaber. That's how you always know they're a bad guy, which is the worst thing ever. Like, it's like maybe I should make a green lightsaber, and then they wouldn't know I'm a Sith Lord. Nah. Stupid. <laughs> Why am I joking like this? Because in all the movies, you know, how about a purple giant? Yeah, a purple giant who just wrecks things. Yeah, then he can't look. In our culture, when we talk about enemies and evil we always make them look disgusting. They're always orcs. They're this flaming eye of Sauron, this guy in this really sweet battle armor, but you know it's all pokey, so you know he's bad. And he uses a mace instead of a sword because the good guys use swords, but bad guys use maces. I've lost you. (laughs) What does an enemy actually look like? They look like us. They look like you because probably somebody thinks you're their enemy. And the people who you think are the enemy of your life look like normal people too, right? This, I'm trying to get at something here. Yes, yes. We need to love our enemies. We need to love all those racists somewhere out there, somewhere doing bad things, those neo-Nazis out there somewhere. Okay, no, let's actually start by loving our, the enemies we actually have, which are probably the people we actually know, which means... In one sense, the person most likely that you're going to be angry at because you think they're your enemy is probably someone you're married to if you're married. Or someone you've given birth to at some time if you've given birth. Or someone who gave birth to you if you're a child of somebody. Or somebody at your church if you go to church. Or somebody at your work if you have a workplace. We actually collect our enemies in our daily life. Right? And how do they become our enemies? There's three different ways you can think about it. They either do something we think is wrong, they hurt us, or they wreck something. They're kind of different perspectives. There's some overlap. You know, you read the news sometimes about somebody and they've committed some crime, so-and-so. Two nuns embezzled $20 million from a Catholic school. 
and you don't know them. You've never heard of them before. You're scrolling down to see their pictures that you haven't seen. You already hate them. Nuns aren't supposed to steal. The last person that's supposed to, they're supposed to take the children up on top of a mountain and sing them a song about threat. (laughs) They're not supposed to steal. And so I hate them already for doing things wrong. I don't know them, but I hate them already because they're doing an injustice. They're doing something wrong, right? They're your enemy just because they're doing something wrong. Never hurts you. Sometimes people become our enemies because they hurt our feelings, right? Say something, do something, feel neglected. They said something that, that sounded like they may have been saying something. We don't know if they said something. Don't want to talk to them if they meant what they said, when they said what they think they said, but they held my, my, my feelings. And I'm not going to talk to them about it, but I'm just going to be, and I don't, I don't trust them, don't want to talk to them, don't want to see them, I'm not going to make the icon, I know an icon of you. I'm going to look in my eyes, you can't look in my eyes, you said that thing, for my feelings. And the, the crazy thing is that sometimes people can become our enemies for hurting our feelings, even when they're telling us true things and not wronging us while they do it. Have you ever seen that happen in your life? Somebody says something, they're right, you know they're right, and you hate their guts. And you don't care if they love you or not. Because you just didn't want them to say that right now. So I'm not going to talk to you, look at you at the end of the song, I'm just text message. I'm going to tell you I left my phone off. So I'm watching all these texts rolling. I'm not talking to you ever again. Maybe it's just me. Some, nobody ever comes up and says, yeah, that was me too, Rob. And I'm just up here going, oh, you're like, there's programs for people like you, Rob. Sometimes people become our enemies when we think that they're going to break something. They're not necessarily doing anything wrong. They're not necessarily hurting us directly, but there's something we think is precious that they might take away from us. You know, they do this thing, it makes me feel concerned. There's this whole gambit, but it usually involves loss or fear of loss, pain or fear of pain, justice, an injustice or perceived injustice, And that person goes under the category of, I don't like you, don't want you, wish you don't exist. You're my enemy. And if you know God, then all of a sudden that person has entered into the category of someone you really need to love. This is the hardest thing. If you're my friend, I need to love you. And if you're my enemy, I also need to love you. Is there there a B somewhere? Can Can I get a middle path somewhere? I I think that learning to love your enemies well is probably one of the hardest things you'll ever do. Number one, because we don't often realize that someone has become an enemy in our heart, right? We just start not being happy to see them, not wanting to look at them. All those little things, and we have no, it doesn't clue in. Uh, I think this person's an enemy, and I actually owe them a debt of love all of a sudden. It's like, no, they're... They're crazy and they're extroverted and they're... they they grow this awesome beard without even trying and I still have like problems from my face from November and <laughs> right that's one of the problems that people slip into personal enemy category and we don't even notice it happening do we especially at church. Because we know we need to like each other or love each other or think okay to each other. So we just kind of have this zone of unthinking in our hearts where we just don't even want to see that. Because that might involve a phone call 
uh, and the TV's on tonight, or will be, and uh, that is the, one of the hardest parts of loving your enemy well is realizing when you have one, because you just don't get it, right? You just don't see it all of a sudden. I don't have any enemies. I just hate my parents. <laughs> I don't have any enemies. I just never want to talk to Pastor Rob again. Blankety, 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 blank. And by blank, that's praying. That's <laughs> open prayer lines there. Forgive me. And the other thing that makes it really hard is that there are enemies. They've wronged us or we feel they've wronged us. It just doesn't seem fair. It doesn't seem fair to let people go when they've hurt us. It doesn't seem just to let people off the hook when they've done something wrong. It doesn't seem fair to, to not make them pay if they've robbed me of something. And it just... Just, I just want, they have to either hurt or pay or be publicly shown to be wrong, and then I'll be okay. But until then, I just can't go there, right? And uh, there is another way. And it starts with going back to the Lord and saying, God, I need to know how much you love me right now. Because obviously I'm trying to get something from this person that they'll never give me, Right? or they can't or won't. Obviously, I want some security, some payment, some payback, some comfort that they took from me or stopped me from getting. And the best I can think of right now is trying to pay them back subtly or overtly. But God, would you come and give me Christ again and help me to see Jesus again? I don't want to be... I know I like joking because it was a bit heavy to start off with and we'll have some... lightness, um, but I don't want to take this too light, lightly because I actually think loving our enemies well is one of the most difficult things you'll ever do, especially when they're people you live with and they're not changing, right? And so I don't want to just come and say, well, do this, do this, do this, do this, do this. Put your right foot on the red circle, put your left hand on the blue circle, one more spin, you're the winner. It's never that simple. But Jesus did um, give us some ideas of where to start. In Luke chapter 6, he says, But I say to you who hear, love your enemies. Do good to those who hate you. Bless those that curse you. And pray for those who abuse you. To the one who strikes your cheek, offer the other also. And for one who takes away your cloak, do not withhold your tunic either. Give to everyone who begs from you. And from the one who takes away your goods, do not demand them back. And so as you wish others would do to you, so do to them. If you love those who love you, what benefit is that to you? For even sinners love those who love them. But if you do good to those who do good to you, what benefit is that to you? For even sinners do the same. If you lend to those who expect to receive back, what credit is that to you? Even sinners lend to sinners and get back the same amount. But love your enemies and do good and lend, expecting nothing in return. And your reward will be great and you will be sons of the Most High for He is kind to the ungrateful and the evil. Be merciful as your Father is merciful. And this is kind of the whole deal. And I think this is the bridge of understanding how 8 ends and 9 starts. The Apostle Paul knows that every single person apart from Jesus that the Father loves is him loving his enemy. Because we all fall short. We're all sinners. 
And deep down, without God's help, we don't want him and don't like him and think we don't need him. We'd rather have something else make us happy without God being around. Thank you very much. That's what the first two chapters or three chapters of Romans was about. But God was not okay just to say, okay, guys, well then, enjoy your lake of fire. He sent his son. He sent his spirit. He loved us and brought us home. So every single person that God loves is God loving his enemy. And there's his enemies that he's made his children, and even people who never will come to Christ. God has a kind of love where he still feeds them and clothes them and gives them some joy and makes the sun rise on them, and it's mercy. It's just mercy. And so when Paul is here in Romans 8 going, God has loved me even though I was his enemy and he's given me this never-ending love and in his heart right away he goes and there's other people who are still living as God's enemy and I want them to know his love too. Even though they keep beating me up. I think that's what's going on. So, confession time. I really think I am the worst person at Calvary Chapel to bring this message. Because I do this so badly. I love my enemies so poorly, and I collected them so quickly. It's terrible. And I know that the problem is that I don't actually know God's love like He wants me to yet. I do get it, that that's where it starts. But maybe I'm up here sharing this so that all of us can maybe say, yeah, I'm not very good at this either. And there's something my spouse can do, and there's something my kids can do, and there's something my family can do, and there's something my boss can do, and there's something my pastor or friends at church can do that puts them in the enemy slot so quickly. And I don't want to live like that anymore. I want to know God's love. And I want to conquer over these feelings of enmity that come with people. That is God's will for us. Amen? So, and there, there is a missional aspect to this. I, I'm, I'm not making a big deal of it, but the world does not get this. And it seems like the more the world tries to fix its problems nowadays in the West, in the English-speaking world, and kind of lift up love and freedom, the more divisions happen, the more we actually hate each other. Nobody knows how to love their enemy anymore. Absolutely nobody. And so people are going to see Jesus. This is one big place where they're going to see that there is a Christ raised from the dead. Because a lot of people think that we're their enemy. Bible-believing Christians, right away, Whatever. You, you can do a lot of things, Bible-believing Christians, but you can't work with youth and get government money for it or be a youth working for the government. We're fine with you. We think you're fine. We just don't want to have anything to do with you financially. Right? No? Maybe so? We need this. We need to learn to love our enemies really well. Better than we ever have before. So if you want to stand, you know what? And you can sit and give your heart to the Lord. Maybe the band can start getting ready.
if you want to have time of just quiet confession with the Lord and just admit, okay, God, when this guy's talking, this person's coming to mind that I really hate them. This person's coming to mind, I'm still really angry at them. Why don't you give them and your heart to the Lord and just say, God, help me to love this person. Help me to learn to bless them and pray for them. And as I have opportunity to do good, I want to be free. I want to know your love and be free. So I give that to you. You could take that prayer and do whatever you want with it if that's you. God, here we are, your people. And God, if knowing your love is impossible without your help, then God, really loving our enemies like Paul could, where he would just be weeping over these people who have scarred him permanently and still want him dead, weeping over them. God, that's impossible for us. Father, if you'll open our eyes to get it, open our hearts to get it, God, Jesus is worthy of a church that loves its enemies like he did. And so, Father, I pray that you would do it. Father, for each person here, I pray that we would just feel that this is our job to do. Without worrying about these people or those people or how people will respond. Just before Jesus, this is our call and our job to love enemies. Father, where we need wisdom, how to navigate this well, where we're not being victims or choosing to be victimized, where we're not participating with sin, Lord, where we need strategies and wisdom. I pray, God, through your scripture and the spirit talking things through, you would give wisdom to everybody who needs it. I know it's so complicated. God, you know sometimes it is so simple but so complicated. We need you. I pray, Lord, that you would really make us more than conquerors through Jesus. Amen.